This is Orson Welles, speaking from London. To keep you in suspense. I had to be every day crying. Night transmissions. Night transmissions. Night transmissions. Hey everybody, this is Gary Clinton, and I'm here with Night Transmission number 129. I got an email the other day from Todd, and he was requesting that I play the classic episode of Suspense, Sorry Wrong Number, from May the 25th, 1943. This particular episode was taken from a rebroadcast that aired on United States Armed Forces Radio. United States Armed Forces during World War II had their own radio network, still do, except now it also has TV. Not always rebroadcast, though. There was a certain amount of original material. Programs like Macabre, which I have played here from time to time. I have to shut up now because the timing on this segment is very tight, and I gotta get out of the way. of the United Nations. The Special Service Division presents one of America's top spine tinglers, a radio program dedicated to the mysterious, the unusual, and sometimes the supernatural. A program of suspense. Operator, I've been dialing Murray Hill 70093 now for the last three quarters of an hour, and the line is always busy. I don't see how it could be busy that long. Will you try it for me, please? I will be glad to try that number for you. One moment, please. I don't see how it could be busy all this time. It's my husband's office. He's working late tonight. I'm all alone here in the house. My health is very poor, and I've been feeling so nervous all day. Ringing Murray Hill 70093. 
Hello? Uh, hello? Is Mr. Stevenson there? Hello? Hello? Oh, hello, George. Yes, sir. This is George speaking. Hello? Who's this? What number am I calling, please? I'm here with our client now. He says the coast is clear for tonight. Yes, sir. Where are you now? In a phone booth. You don't worry. Everything's okay. Very well. Now, you know the address. At 11 o'clock, the private patrolman goes around to the bar on 2nd Avenue for a beer. Be sure that all the lights downstairs are on, eh? There should be only one light visible from the street. At 11.15, a train crosses the bridge. It makes a noise in case her window is open and she should scream. Oh, hello. What number is this, please? Okay. I understand. Now make it quick. As little blood as possible, eh? Our client does not wish to make us suffer long. Will the knife be okay, sir? Yeah, the knife will be okay. And uh, do you remember the other details? Yeah, yeah, I know. Remove the rings and bracelets and the jewelry in the bureau drawer. That's right. Our client wishes it to look like simple robbery. You don't worry. Everything is going to be okay. All right, then. Be sure to... Oh! Oh! Oh, how awful! How unspeakably awful! Your call, please. Operator, I, I, I've just been cut off. I'm sorry. What number were you calling? Why, it, it was supposed to be Murray Hill 70093, but it wasn't. Some wires must have got crossed. I was cut into a wrong number, and I, 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 I've just heard the most dreadful thing. Something about a murder. And, operator, you'll simply have to retrace that call at once. I beg your pardon. May I help you? Oh, I, I know it was a wrong number, and I had no business listening, but these two men, they were cold-blooded fiends, and they were going to murder somebody, some poor innocent woman who was all alone in a house near a bridge, and we've got to stop them. We've got what to... What number were you calling, please? Well, that doesn't matter. This was a wrong number, and you dialed it for me, and we've got to find out what it was immediately. What number did you call? Oh, why are you so stupid? Well, what time is it? Do you mean to tell me you can't find out what that number was just now? I'll connect you with the chief operator. Oh, I think it's perfectly shameful. Now, look, look, it was obviously a case of some little slip of the finger. I, I told you to try Murray Hill 70093 for me. You dialed it, but your finger must have slipped, and I was connected with some other number. A and I could hear them, but they couldn't hear me. Now, now, I simply fail to see why you couldn't make that same mistake again on, on purpose, why you couldn't try to dial Murray Hill 70093 in the same sort of careless way. Murray Hill 70093... <laughs> I will try to get it for you. Thank you. <sighs> I'm sorry, Murray Hill 70093 is busy. I will call you Operator. 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 Uh, operator, will you answer me? Your call, please. Well, you didn't try to get that wrong number at all. I asked you explicitly, and all you did was dial correctly. I'm sorry. Uh, what number are you calling? Oh, can't you for once forget what number I'm calling and do something for me? Now, I want to trace that call. It's my civic duty, it's your civic duty to trace that call and apprehend those dangerous killers. And if you won't... I will connect you with the chief operator. Please. Oh. Oh. What's the answer? This is the chief operator. Oh, uh, chief operator, I want you to trace a call, a, a telephone call immediately. I don't know where it came from or who was making it, but it's absolutely necessary that it be tracked down because it was about a murder that someone's planning. A, a terrible, cold-blooded murder of a poor, innocent woman. Tonight at 11.15. I see. Well, can you trace it for me? Can you track down those men? I'm not certain. It depends. Depends on what? It depends on whether the call is still going on. If it's a live call, we can trace it on the equipment. <laughs> 
been disconnected, we can't. Disconnected? If the parties have stopped talking to each other. Oh, but, but of course they must have stopped talking to each other by now. That was at least five minutes ago, and they didn't sound like the type who would make a long call. Well, I can try tracing it. May well, I have your name, please? Mrs. Stevenson. Mrs. Elbert Stevenson. Now, but, but listen... And your telephone number, please. Oh, Plaza 42295. But if you go on wasting all this time... Why do you want the call traced, please? Why? Well... Oh, no reason. No reason. I, I mean, I, I merely felt very strongly that something ought to be done about it. These, these men sounded like killers. They're, they're dangerous. They're going to murder this woman at 11.15 tonight, and I thought the police ought to know. Have you reported this to, to the police? Well, no, no, not yet. You want this call checked purely as a private individual? Yes, yes, but meanwhile... I'm sorry, Mrs. Stevenson, but I'm afraid we couldn't make this check for you and trace the call just in your say-so as a private individual. Well, I... We'd have to do something more official. Oh, for heaven's sake. You mean to tell me I can't report that there's going to be a murder without getting tied up in all this red tape? Why, it's perfectly idiotic. Well... All right, all right. I'll call the police. Thank you. I'm sure that would be the best way to... Oh, it's ridiculous. It's perfectly ridiculous. All this red tape. Oh. Oh, they... Your call, please. Uh, the police department. Get me the police department, please. Thank you. Bringing the police department. Okay. Station, Precinct 43, Sergeant Martin speaking. Police Department, uh, this is Mrs. Stevenson, Mrs. Elbert Smythe Stevenson of 53 North Sutton Place. I'm calling up to report a murder. I, I mean, the murder hasn't been committed yet, but I, I, I just overheard plans for it over the telephone, over a wrong number that the operator gave me. I've been trying to trace down the call myself, but everybody is so stupid, and I, I guess in the end you're the only people who could do anything. Yes, ma'am. Well, it, it was a perfectly definite murder. I, I heard their plans distinctly. Uh, two men were talking, and they were going to murder some woman at 11.15 tonight. She lived in a house near a bridge. Are you listening to me? Uh, 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 yes, ma'am. And, and there was a private patrolman on the street. He was going to go around for a beer on 2nd Avenue. And, and, and there was some third man, a, a client, who was uh, paying to have this poor woman murdered. They were going to take her rings and bracelets and, and, and use a knife. Well, it's, it's unnerved me dreadfully, and I'm not well. Uh, I see. And I... Uh, when was all this, ma'am? Uh, well, uh, about eight minutes ago. Oh, uh, then you can do something. You do understand. Uh, what is your name, ma'am? Uh, Mrs. Stevenson, Mrs. Elbert Stevenson. And your address? Uh, 53 North Sutton Place. 53 North Sutton Place. That's near a bridge. The, the Queensborough Bridge, you know. And, and, and we have a private patrolman on our street. And, and, and 2nd Avenue... And what was the number you were calling? Murray Hill 70093. But, but that wasn't the number I overheard. I, I mean, Murray Hill 70093 is my husband's office. He's, he's working late tonight, and I was trying to reach him to ask him to come home. I'm an invalid, you know, and uh, it's the maid's night off, and I hate to be alone, even though he says I'm perfectly safe as long as I have the telephone right beside my bed. Well, we'll look into it, Mrs. Stevenson, well, and we'll see if we can check it with the telephone company. But the telephone company said they couldn't check the call if the parties had stopped talking. I've already taken care of that. Oh, you have? Yes, and personally, I feel you want to do something far more immediate and drastic than just check the call. What good does checking the call do if they stop talking? By the time you track it down, they'll already have committed the murder. Well, we'll take care of it, don't you worry. Well, I'd say the whole thing calls for a search, a complete and thorough search of the whole city. Now, I'm very near the bridge, and I'm not far from 2nd Avenue, and I know I'd feel a lot better if, 
If you sent around a radio car to this neighborhood at once. And what makes you think the murder is going to be committed in your neighborhood? Oh, ma'am? well, I, I don't know. Only the coincidence is so horrible. Second Avenue and the uh, patrolman and the bridge. Second Avenue is a very long street, ma'am. I know. And it. you know how many bridges there are in the city of New York alone. Oh. Not to mention Brooklyn, Staten Island, Queens, the Bronx. I know. How do you know there isn't some little house out on Staten Island on some little Second Avenue you've never even heard about? Oh. How do you know they're even talking in, about New York at all? But I heard the call on the New York dialing system. Uh, maybe it was a long distance call you overheard. Oh, and telephones are funny things. Look, lady, why don't you look at it this way? Supposing you hadn't broken in on that telephone call. Supposing you'd got your husband the way you always do. You wouldn't be upset, would you? No, I suppose not. Only it, it, it sounded so inhuman, so cold-blooded. Well, a lot of murders are plotted in this city every day, ma'am. Well, we manage to prevent most all of them, but a clue of this kind is so vague. I... Isn't much more use to us than no clue at but all. But surely you... Unless, of course, uh, you have some reason for thinking this call was phony and that somebody may be planning to murder you. Me? Oh, well, no, I hardly think so. Well, I mean, why should anybody? I, I, I'm alone all day and night. I, I see nobody except my maid, Eloise, and, and it, she's a big girl. She weighs 200 pounds. She's too lazy to bring up my breakfast tray. And the, and the only other person is my husband, Elder. He's crazy about me. He just adores me. Waits on me hand and foot. It scarcely left my side since I took sick 12 years ago. Well, and there's nothing for you to worry about. Well, I... Now, if you'll just leave the rest of this to us, we'll but take care But what you do? It's so late. It's nearly 11 now. We'll take care of it later. Well, will you broadcast it all over the city and send out squads and, and, and warn your radio cars to watch out, especially in suspicious neighborhoods like mine? Lady, I said we'd take care of it. I... Just now, I've got a couple of other matters here on my desk that require immediate attention. Oh. Good night, ma'am, and thank you. Oh, you, you idiot. Oh. Oh, now, why did I hang up the phone like that? Now we'll think I am a fool. Oh, why doesn't Albert come home? Why doesn't he? Oh. Operator, for heaven's sake, will you ring that Murray Hill 70093 number again? I can't think what's keeping him so long. I will try it for you. Well, try, try. Oh. So nervous. Why does it take so long? I'm sorry. Murray Hill 70093 is busy. I will call you. I can hear it. You don't have to tell me. I know it's busy. Oh. Oh, it's... If I could only get out of this bed for a little while. If I could if I could get a breath of fresh air or just lean out of the window or, or see the street. Hello, Albert? Hello? 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 Oh, what's the matter with this phone? Hello, hello. Hello? Operator, I don't know what's the matter with this telephone tonight, but it's positively driving me crazy. I've never seen such inefficient, miserable service. Now, 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 look. I'm an invalid, and I'm very nervous, and I'm not supposed to be annoyed. 
But if this keeps on much longer... What seems to be the trouble, please? Well, everything's wrong. I haven't had one bit of satisfaction out of one call I've made this evening. The whole world could be murdered for all you people care. And now, now my phone keeps ringing and ringing and ringing and ringing and ringing every five seconds or so. And when I pick it up, there's no one there. I'm sorry. If you will hang up, I will test it for you. I don't want you to test it for me. I want you to pull that call through, whatever it is, at, at once. I'm afraid I cannot do that. You can't? And why? Why, may I ask? dial system is automatic. Oh. If someone is trying to dial your number, there is no way to check whether the call is coming through the system or not. Oh, unless the person who is trying to reach you complains to his particular operator. Well, of all this stupidness. And meanwhile, I've got to sit here in my bed suffering every time that phone rings, imagining everything. I will try to check the trouble for check you. Check it, check it. That's all anybody can do. Oh, what's the use of talking to you? You're stupid. <gasps> I'll fix her. Of all the impudence. Oh, how dare she speak to me like that? How dare she speak to me like that? Oh. Oh. Your call, please. Young woman, I don't know your name. But there are ways of finding you out. And I'm going to report you to your superiors for the most unpardonable rudeness and insolence that has ever been my privilege. Give me the business office at once. You may dial that number direct. Dial it direct? I'll do no such thing. I don't even know the number. The number is in the dial directory, or you may secure it by dialing information. Now listen here, you... Oh, what's the use? Oh, oh for heaven's sake, I'm going out of my mind. Not a... Hello? Hello? Stop ringing me, do you hear? Answer me. Who is this? You realize you're driving me crazy? Who's calling me? What are you doing it for? Now stop it, stop it, stop it, I say. Hello? Hello, if you don't stop ringing me, I'm going to call the police. Do you hear? The police! <laughs> oh, if Albert would only come home. <laughs> oh, let it ring. Let it go on ringing. It's a trick of some kind. And I won't answer it. I won't, I won't, even if it goes on ringing all night. <laughs> now what's the matter? Why did they stop ringing all of a sudden? What time is it? Oh, where did I put that clock? Five to eleven. Oh, oh they've decided something. They're sure I'm home. They heard my voice answer them just now. That's why they've been ringing me. Why no one has answered me. Oh, I'm again. Oh, oh, where is she? Why doesn't she answer? can't be busy. There must be other lines available. The line is busy. Oh. I will try to get them for you later. No, no, I've got to speak to them now or it may be too late. I've got to talk to someone. What number do you wish to speak to? Please. I don't know, but there must be someone to protect people beside the police department. A, a, a detective agency. A, a... Uh, you will find agencies listed in the classified directory. But I don't have a classified directory. I, I, 
I mean, I'm too nervous to I look it up. I will collect you with information. Know. Perhaps she will be able to help you. No, no. Oh, you're being spiteful, aren't you? You don't care, do you, what happens to me? I could die and you wouldn't care. <laughs> oh, stop it. Stop it. I can't stand anymore. Hello. What do you want? Stop ringing, will you? Stop it. Hello? Is this Plaza 42295? Yes, I'm... I'm sorry. Yes, this is Plaza 42295. This is Western Union. Yeah. I have a telegram here for Mrs. Albert Stevenson. Yeah. Is there anyone there to receive the message? Yes, I'm Mrs. Stevenson. The telegram is as follows. Mrs. Albert Stevenson, 53 North Sutton Place, New York, New York. Darling, terribly sorry. Tried to get you for last hour, but line busy. Oh. Leaving for Boston, 11 oh. p.m. tonight on urgent business. Back tomorrow afternoon. Keep happy. Love. Signed, Albert. Oh, no. Do you wish us to deliver a copy of the message? No. No, thank you. Thank you, madam. Good night. Good night. Oh, oh. oh no. No, I don't believe it. He couldn't do it. Not when he knows I'll be all alone. It's some trick. It's some trick. Something... Some finish trick. <laughs> I know. <laughs> oh, oh, I'm so nervous. <laughs> oh, what is the answer? <laughs> Your call, please. Operator, try that Murray Hill 70093 number for me just once more, please. You may dial that number direct. number of Hensley Hospital. Hensley Hospital? Yes. Do you have the street address? No, no, it's somewhere in the 70s. It's a very small, uh, private and exclusive hospital where I had my appendix out two years ago. Hensley, H-E-N-C-A. Well, will you please hurry and, and uh, please, what is the time? You may find out the time by dialing Meridian 71212. Oh, for heaven's sake, I've no time to be dialing. The number of Hensley Hospital is Butterfield 70105. Butterfield 70105. Henshley Hospital, good evening. Nurses Registry. Who was it you wish to speak to, please? I want the nurses registry at once. I 
I, I want a trained nurse. I want to hire immediately for the night. I see. And what is the nature of the case, madam? Nerves. I, I, I'm very nervous. I, I need soothing and, and companionship. You, you see, my husband is away, and I'm Have also... Have you been recommended to us by any doctor in particular, madam? No, but I really don't see why all this catechizing is necessary. I, I, I just want a trained nurse. I was a patient in your hospital two years ago, and after all, I, I do expect to pay this person for attending well, me. We quite understand that, madam, but these are war times, you know. I know that. Registered nurses are very scarce just now. And our superintendent has asked us to send people out only on cases where the physician in charge feels it's absolutely necessary. Well, it is absolutely necessary. I'm a sick woman. I'm I'm very much upset, very. I'm, I'm alone in this house, and I'm an invalid, and, and, and tonight I overheard a telephone conversation that upset me dreadfully. In fact, if, if someone doesn't come at once, I'm afraid I'll go out of my mind. I see. Well, I'll speak to Miss Phillips as soon as she comes in. And what is your name, ma'am? Miss Phillips? And when do you expect her in? I really couldn't say. She went out to supper at 11 o'clock. 11 o'clock? But it's, it's not 11 o'clock yet. Oh, oh, my clock has stopped. I thought it was running down. What time is it? Just, just 15 minutes past 11. What was that? What was what, madam? That, that click just now in my own telephone. As though someone had lifted the receiver off the hook of the extension telephone downstairs. Well, I didn't hear it, madam. Now, about this... But I did. There's, there's someone in this house, someone downstairs in the kitchen. And they're, they're listening to me now. They're listening! I won't... I won't pick it up. I... I won't let them hear me. I won't let them hear me. I'll be quiet. I'll be so quiet. And they'll think... Oh, oh but if I don't call someone now... Well, they're still down there. Maybe there'll be no time. Your call, please. Operator, I'm I'm in desperate trouble. I'm sorry, I cannot hear you. Please speak louder. I I I, I don't dare. I, there's someone listening. Can can you hear me now? I'm sorry. Oh, but you've got to you've got to hear me. Oh, please. Please, you've got to help me. There's, there's someone in this house. Someone who's going to murder me. And, and you've got to get in touch with... You've got... oh. oh, there it is. There it is. Did you hear it? He's, he's put it down. He's put down the extension phone. He's, he's coming up. Ah! He's coming upstairs. Okay, get, get in the police department. The police department. Give me the police department. One moment, please. I will connect you. I can hear him. Oh, I can hear him. He's coming near. Oh, I know it. Hurry. Hurry. Hurry, please. Oh, I'm I'm sorry. Must have got the wrong number. Precinct 43, Sergeant Martin speaking. Police Department, Martin speaking. Police Department, Martin speaking. Oh, Police Department? Police Department. I'm sorry, must have got the wrong number. D don't worry. 
Everything's okay. So closes Sorry, Wrong Number, starring Agnes Moorhead. Tonight's tale of suspense. Suspense was rebroadcast for you soldiers, sailors, and Marines of the United Nations by the Special Service Division of the War Department of the United States of America. Thirty minutes in. I always take a break at thirty minutes in. I don't know exactly why. It's not like I got anything to sell you or anything. But well, here it is. And just be patient. It's almost over. Really? I promise. Any second now. There was a lot. Left unsaid about Suspense's presentation of Sorry Wrong Number, but I got a little more time now, so I thought I'd come back to it just a little bit. How much do you think the producers of Suspense loved this Louise Fletcher play, How High is the Moon? You see, between 1943, when this was produced, and 1960, the program produced eight versions of this play, each time starring Agnes Moorhead. Seven of them had actually survived. And then there was a movie in 1948 starring Robert Stanwyck as Mrs. Stevenson. The Lux Radio Theater then did a radio adaptation of the movie, where Barbara Stanwyck again played the main character. Louise Fletcher was born in 1912 and died in 2000 and has a long list of credits, which include another very famous radio play, The Hitchhiker, originally performed by Orson Welles' troops, the Mercury Theater, in 1946. It was then later adapted for an episode of The Twilight Zone, and then much more recently for television as an episode of Supernatural. 
There's a fair amount more about this at the webpage www.nighttransmissions.com including a link to a webpage that has all seven surviving episodes of the suspense play as well as the Lux Radio Theater's version starring the Barbara Stanwyck. It may be worth your time if you want to trip on over there. The links for this will be in segment one. By the way, and apropos of nothing of great significance, I just realized that I have been saying Louise Fletcher. The woman's name was Lucille Fletcher, although you often do see her referred to as Louise Fletcher. I think perhaps Louise was a pseudonym, or maybe it was just a name she went by. Her actual full name was Violet Lucille Fletcher, but she probably wouldn't mind if you called her Louise. Certainly not now. This upcoming episode of CBS Mystery Theater is unusual in at least a couple of respects. I mean, it's kind of unusual for CBS Mystery Theater, this story about an aspiring architect who is drawn into the circus business when he falls in love with one of the beautiful ballerinas in the show. But she has this sister, this cruel, heartless, identical twin sister. He falls in love with the nice one. How does he get her away from the not-so-nice one? The other unusual thing about this is that it was written by Alfred Bester, who is best known for his work in science fiction, having written two seminal science fiction novels in the 1950s. The Demolished Man, and then a bit later, I think about 1959, maybe 57, The Star's My Destination. Both are terrific. So I was surprised to listen to this and find it quite a departure for Bester. I, I'm no expert on Bester. I've not read everything Bester ever written, but I've read a fair amount, and... This certainly seems out of the ordinary for him. By this, I don't intend to suggest that this is somehow a substandard work. It is not. It's quite good, really. Come in. Welcome. I'm E.G. Marshall. I have a very odd subject I'd like to talk over with you. It's been perplexing philosophers for centuries. What is really real? Now, don't laugh. I'm serious. Look, if a tree falls in a forest and nobody's around to hear it fall, has it made a sound? Must someone hear a sound to make it real? If you see something, does that make it real? Yes? Then what about a mirage? If you think something, does that make it real. What is reality? That question was asked a hundred years ago in a third-rate European circus, and I wonder whether you will agree with the answer they found. Can I help you with your costume, Francesca? No, don't touch me. But I... Why are you talking like this, Francesca? You never sound... You are Francesca. No, I'm Simone. Oh, I can never tell you two apart. Do you want me to give you fair warning? 
Why can't we be civil to each other, Simone? Because I hate you just as much as my sister loves you. And you hate me. I don't hate you. But you love Francesca. Yes, I think I do. Don't you know that love and hate can be twin sisters? Like Francesca and me. No, I don't believe it. I can't believe it. Only one can be real. mystery drama, Two Plus Two Equals Death, was written especially for the Mystery Theater by Alfred Bester and stars William Redfield. No matter how third rate it is, you have to feel sorry for Mario's one-ring circus this cold afternoon in Zurich. One of their stars died on stage in the middle of his performance. He was Gerard the Great. The unbelievable, the miraculous, the incredible mechanical man. And with him, the illusion died. Now Gerard is being buried in an obscure graveyard in Zurich, mourned by the clowns and freaks and dancers of the company who decorate the tombstone with mementos, props, bits of costume and makeup, all the real things that help create illusion. A young man, well-dressed, carrying a travel bag, joins the strange ceremony. Aha. You must be Peter, the great Gerard's son. I recognize you, even after all these years. You are Gerard's image, Peter. Welcome on this sad occasion. I took the first train from Paris. You remember me? I remember nothing. But you must remember me. No. Ah, I understand. You think if you forget, it will go away. It will never have happened. But I am Mario. Mario Milan. When you were a piccolino, so high, I taught you what little your father forgot. The tightrope, the slack wire, the left foot take. <laughs> you were my little genius, my wunderkind. Ah, uh, yes, Mario, of course. I see I came too late for the funeral. Well, you couldn't help yourself, Peter. It was all over in a moment. The heart collapsed. You couldn't wait a day for me? My dear boy, we play Innsbruck Monday. These are your colleagues. Come and meet them. My Colleagues, Ladies and gentlemen of the company, this is Gerard's son, Peter. Many years ago, a member of our troop. No, never. Then retired to become a civilian. He entered the unreal world of business and education to become an engineer. Not an engineer, an architect. He designed the Eiffel Tower, also the Leaning Tower and the Tower of Babel, for which he was awarded gold medal engraved in all languages. Ah, clown. What, do you want us to cry? We love Gerard, your father. I never knew him. It was your misfortune. When I lost Gerard, I lost a little of my hold on life. Ah. Shall we return to the city? Ah, matinee today. Come with me, Peter. No, Mario. I'll stay a moment. Of course. 
Come to your father's caravan when you are finished with grief. But don't take too long. First overture at three o'clock. What? Well, have you forgotten? Overture and beginners, please. Three o'clock. Arrivederci. Excuse me. I said, I'm sorry about your father. What are you waiting for? It's not good to be alone with the dead. I need no one, thank you. My name is Francesca. I dance in the ballet. And I helped your father with the illusion. I brought him to life. You brought him to life? I wound him up with this key. Oh, yes. Yes, I remember that. Then he came out of the toy box. I loved your father, too. You and Mario. Everybody loved him. He was the only gentle man I ever knew. My father, gentle. There was never any violence in him. He was all kindness. What? Gerard, you believe that? I know it. Mm. It was his greatest illusion. You sound as though you hate him. He deserted my mother and me. How should I feel? That's why she didn't come here. No. She died three years ago. Excuse me. Jard always said your mother took you and ran away from him. He was a fraud, like the rest of you. Why are you so angry with us? If you could just stop acting for one moment. But I'm not acting. No? When are you never? All of you. Mario Milan clowning at the grave. And you? Oh. Are those supposed to be real tears? I didn't know there were tears. Oh, make believe. (gasps) Pretend unreal. A scene must be played. Cue the tears, and the tears come on cue. Crocodile. Well, they say you can always tell real tears from crocodile tears because they burn when you touch them. So try mine. Ah, my dear friend... Francesca. Ah. Give me your hand. Try my... Your hand is... Oh, you're so cold and angry. That means you're lonely. Of course, that's why you're hating everything. I never hated anything in my life. Until you came here. And you saw how lonely you were for your father. And us. Please, Francesca. Let me warm your other hand. Give it to me. Ha! You know you said, please, Francesca. Exactly like your father. You are so much like him. (laughs) Will that make you my stepbrother? Or your step-lover? You said that to hurt me, didn't you? I've never had a lover. I'm sorry, Francesca. I don't know what's got into me. This crazy world of illusion. You're all so strange, and you're the strangest. I... May I... Have my hand back, please. You haven't tried my tears yet. They've burned me already. Well, we'd better get back to the... Oh, wait, I I almost forgot. Have you a keepsake for your father? Something to put on his grave? How can I? He gave me nothing. Then give him this. It's the key I used. To bring him to life. Oh. His last illusion... you do
doing in Gerard's caravan? What? Don't you dare touch anything. But I... Is this a joke? Get out. Do I have to call a stagehand? Get out. And I'll search you before you leave. But I belong here. You know that. This caravan's mine now. Since when? Unless my father never owned it. Your father? Then you are Peter Gerard. This is altogether beyond me. Look, have I done anything to make you act this way? How could you possibly? Then what's happened? Is this revenge? I thought we were going to be friends. Since when? What? I give up. All right, it's a joke. A circus sort of joke on outsiders like me. But it isn't funny. Not to me. It's turning my hands cold again. Fear. Don't touch me. Dear heaven, what now? Didn't your father tell you about me? I told you. I never knew my father. What was he supposed to tell me that about we you? Were, that this was my caravan, too. You? And my father? But you said... Yes. I said... I'll move my things out. After the matinee. Who? Ah, so... Very interesting girl. Yes, fantastic. She took me for a thief. So? She caught me going through my father's things. What were you looking for? Money. My mother said he promised me. Uh-huh. <laughs> to start that engineering office of your own, huh? Architect. Oh, your pardon. I have a friend in Paris, Marcel Roger, a brilliant designer. We're going into business together. And it will cost you 5000 Gerard told me often, and with pride. Ah, was the time. Time I had a look around backstage. The manager must see everything. You're coming. Why not? There's nothing for me here. I might as well look at the animals. You must not hate us this much, Peter. I don't suppose my father managed to save the 5,000. But of course he did. Gerard was man of his word. He did? Do you know where it is? Well, naturally. He loaned it to me. <laughs> to you? Well, to our company. I, I explained. We had three very bad months. We would have folded. Your father saved us. But my office... The money will be repaid. We now show a profit again. Give me three months and... Three months? What am I to do in the meantime? Peter, I will tell you how you can spend your three months. Yes? With us. You will close the first act. What? Starting next Monday at Innsbruck. You're mad. Yes, I admit it. To trust the civilian in the finale of the first half is insanity. But then I remember, Gerard taught the boy the act, detail by detail. He will remember. He has talent. You want me to do the mechanical man illusion? It's the only act that can close the first half. I've tried all the others, and I know only the great illusion will do. Mario, don't be ridiculous. I'm an architect. Ah, 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 but you began life as an artist. If you do not help us, you may never get your money. There must be an act to close the first half. Hire an act. 
Ah, where will I find the time and the money? What will we do in the meantime? Oh, damn it, Mario. Help me, please, for three months. Then you can go back to Paris with your money. It will be easy. Two whole days to remember and rehearse before we open. Francesca will help. And I, too. Now, go back to the caravan and look over your costume. No, absolutely not. Find another animal. Francesca? I have a little time now so we could start going through the act with you. What's the matter? You're not nervous, are you? No, no, no. Just flabbergasted. Why? Mario says you know the act. I think you'll be even greater. What is the matter with you? I meet you for the first time and you're adorable. A half hour later, you burst into this caravan and behave like a devil. Now here you are, an angel again. been in here with you? Not 20 minutes ago, calling me a thief and a ghoul and saying foul things about yourself and my father, I... Me? Me? Yes, you. In that same costume, wearing that same face. (laughs) Oh, I'm sorry. Well, it must have been Simone. (laughs) Who? My sister, Simone. We both dance in a ballet. You know, 12 ballerinas. 12. Your sister? You... (laughs) You mean twins? Of course. It happens all the time with strangers. Oh, <laughs> how can twin sisters be so different? Well, later, later. Now, rehearsal first. And we've got to find out how much of the illusion you remember. Everything. That's what I was running away from. Well, we'll start with after I open the toy box. I... Oh. What's the matter? We'll need a new key for the act. I'll have to go and tell the prop man. Here's the old key, Francesca. You didn't put it on your father's grave. No. I kept it. I wanted something from my father. Take the key, Francesca. Wind me up into a wonderful illusion. So, here we have the equation. Two girls named Francesca and Simone, identical twins, and two men, Peter Gerard, architect, and Peter the Great, the miraculous mechanical man. Two plus two. And they add up to death. How? Perhaps the arithmetic of the second act will tell us. And so the deadly arithmetic of illusion continues in the form of Peter the Great the miraculous mechanical man in Mario's giant variety show and one-ring circus. One week only in Innsbruck, two weeks in Verona, ten days only in Lausanne, final week in Nancy. Ladies and gentlemen, it gives me great pleasure to present the unbelievable, the miraculous, the incredible mechanical man, Peter the Great. We here, ladies and gentlemen. It is the prettiest member of our giant corps de ballet wheeling in the gift box so beautifully tied with the ribbon. Is this a gift for me, Francesca? No, Mario. It is a gift for our kind audience. Ah, our pretty Francesca opens the box. And what do we see inside? What is her gift to you? 
I tremble with suspense, ladies and gentlemen. Good heavens! It is a giant toy! It is Peter, the mechanical man! I have this magic key, Mario. Peter must be wound up! <laughs> bravo, bravo! Peter has come to life! Oh. The mechanical man is alive! <laughs> See, ladies and gentlemen, how naturally he bows to you and to the lovely Francesca. It's going very well. I'm Marcel Roger, Peter's friend from Paris. Perhaps he has mentioned me? No, uh, excuse me, I must go on again. Don't you ever relax? <laughs> I, I'm working. <laughs> you are splendid, Peter, as usual. Uh, here is a surprise for you. I permitted him to wait backstage. Marcel, what the devil are you doing here? If you'll excuse me. <laughs> Certainly, sir, thank you. It's been an experience waiting back here. Peter, fantastic. Yes, I suppose it is. When I got your letter about the delay, I had to come and see for myself. See what? The real reason for the delay. Twelve ballerinas. Twelve, yes. No, what are you really doing here, Marcel? You didn't make a special trip. I had a stopover between trains. Peter, you must come back to Paris. There's no need until we can afford to take the office. I explained in my letter. There's every need. There are people to be met and cultivated who can become clients. You can do that. I haven't the flair. We agreed that you'd be the contact man. This is no life for you. All right, all right, Marcel. When does your train leave? In an hour. And you'd better not miss it. Huh? I'll come to Paris as soon as I've collected my money. Which is it? Does this bear costume shrink? Or have I gained 10 kilos? I think it is the kilos, Mario. Your bicycle is having its problems, too. What a disgrace for an impresario to ride a bicycle dressed as a bear. With a red ribbon around his neck. Allow me. Ah, but we all must do everything. You too. Please, the ballet. Half the girls are not fully buttoned. Ah, I hear my cue. Are you buttoned, Francesca? Can I help? Will a kiss help? I'm buttoned. Meet you right after. But, Francesca? Simone. I take back the kiss. It was not received. I can never tell you two apart. Shall I give warning? Why can't we be civil to each other, Simone? Where are you meeting, Francesca? Up in a fly gallery, as usual? Ah, have we been that obvious? Transparent. The fly gallery is the only private place we can find. High over the stage. Private? For what? What do you talk about there, up above the stage? Yourself? And Francesca. And me? Simone? Now and then. I wonder how you can be so like her on the outside and so different within. Oh, you fool. <laughs> what do you think my saintly sister is hiding from you? Every woman is like me inside. No, Simone. You want Francesca to love you? She despises you as I do. She's only nice to you to help Mario. You're lying, Simone. And you lied about my father, too. Why do you always attack me? You don't like that, huh? You want women to be magical illusions. But some of us are too honest. You're not being honest. You're being vicious. Then go up to the fly gallery and wait for her. She's all magic now. But when you meet the real woman behind it, will you be able to love her, Peter? 
the great illusionist. Packed house tonight, Peter. Very good. I think I will report on finances to you. Yes? After I check the box office, I come to your caravan. Or uh, uh, are you up in the gallery tonight? Oh, does everybody know? No, no, not everybody. You have been wonderfully discreet, but uh, as manager, I must know everything and say nothing. Uh, it will be interesting to see what happens. What should happen? You don't find Francesca interesting? Mario, how can Francesca and Simone be sisters? They're so incredibly different. Ah, the patineur is about to begin and we need the snow. Since you are for the fly gallery, Peter, you will oblige by sprinkling the skaters. The snow is in a brown paper bag waiting on the scaffold. Uh, sometimes I wonder where all life is waiting in a brown paper bag. Francesca, I'm coming. I'm coming. These stairs are harder than the dancing. Oh. Take my breath. Hello. It is, Francesca. Of course. What's the matter? I had an accident. What? An accident? Oh, let me help you sprinkle the snow. Yes. What accident? How? When? I kissed Simone by mistake. Now, don't laugh. I'd like a guarantee of identity, please. <laughs> you could kiss me and see. Huh? No, no. Wait, I've got better proof. See? Huh? The key. What are you doing with that? Oh, I keep it handy. Just in case you need winding up. I suppose the rest <laughs> of the company thinks I do. Simone said I avoid everybody. Oh, honestly? She's impossible. But it's true, isn't it? You're getting to like us. More and more. It's still so strange. I'm being pulled two ways. Part of me loves this life, and part of me... Oh, why do you always start me talking about myself? Because I want to know all about you. Simone says I talk about myself oh, too much. Oh, never listen to Simone. She read a book once about women being slaves, and she never got over it. <laughs> Come. What were you going to tell me, Peter? Francesca, in Paris, I know who I am and who everybody is. But here in Mario's show... Are we so different? Well, look at this stuff we're sprinkling. Is it real snow? <laughs> if I want it to be. Ah, that's the difference between us. I never know where I stand with you people. I never know if something is real or you're just pretending it's real. Well, anything's real, if you believe it. Ah, uh, show's over. Francesca, do you despise me? Simone said... Oh, never listen to her, Peter. Have you been kind to me just as a favor to Mario? How could you possibly think that? Simone said... Listen, you must be patient with her. She's afraid. Of me? No, of losing me. She needs me. She wants me to need her. I need you, Francesca. <laughs> you don't mean that. I do. I... I'm afraid to say it. Help me, Francesca. You need the key, Peter. Here. Against your heart. Come to me. Oh. Oh. Say it. I... I love you. It took you long enough. I ran down. 
And what would happen if I lost the key? I'd run down forever. I'll never part with it. Nor I. Peter! Peter! Ah, it's Mario. He knows we're up here. Come down from the gallery. There's nobody up here. Come to this stage, Peter. I want to talk to you. You can't ask a man to leave heaven. What is it like up there in heaven? All magic. <laughs> Come down to earth for a moment. Oh, I'm sorry to do this to you, but we'll get right back to our programming in a moment. getting here, you know. Oh, alas, you look like angels recently arrived from heaven. Uh And you look like the devil. It's all this snow. I can't stand cold weather. Uh Here, Peter, a gift from the box office. Huh? What gift? Your 5,000. Paid in full. You don't mean three months have passed already. Uh, Two months, two weeks, and four days. Now you can go back to Paris and build your bridges. Oh, what about closing the first half? I have some possibilities. I... I can't desert you. Will you go back to Paris? Francesca, do you want me to go? I... Francesca has nothing to do with it. I ask again, will you return to Paris and a safe life? This is your last chance. I can leave any time. You cannot. The poison is seeping into your soul. In another month, it will be too late. Poison? He means me. Francesca, be quiet. Peter, will you go back to sanity and reality now or never? I, Francesca, I'm not me anymore. I'm part of us. We add up to more. Is it the same with you? Yes. Mario, invest the money in the company for us, all except 100. I want you to spend that. On what? A dinner for the company. A wedding dinner. Whose? Ours. (gasps) Francesca. You want to marry him? Yes. And uh, does Simone... What about Simone? Does she want this marriage? Does Peter know he will have to live with Simone too? No, no, she'll uh, leave. She'll never come back. Can you promise... I swear it, Mario. What is all this? Family squabbles? I can learn to get along with Simone. I, I don't want you to, Peter. I don't want to share you with her. She'll... Leave the company. I know it, Mario. I... I swear it. You have honor, Francesca. I take your word. Ah, so, a kiss for a bride-to-be, a handshake for the groom-to-be. Uh-huh. Uh, oh, you have a hand of iron, Peter. <laughs> the impresario blesses you. Go, go, go. Be married. Oh, Thank Mario. You, Mario. Arrivederci. Thank you. Simon. Simon, can you hear me? I know you are listening somewhere. I know you heard her. In heaven's name, Simon, go. Go forever. Francesca. 
Francesca once told Peter that when she and her twin sister Simone were children and used to play make-believe, their mother would say, why can't you be yourselves? And they would answer, we want to be all ourselves. And their mother always replied, only one self to a person. Is that true? Must all of us be limited to one self? Or can we be many people? And what happens if we are? What do all the different selves add up to in Act Three? custom a hundred years ago to serenade newlyweds with a chivalry, a noisy concert of banging pots and pans, shouts, whistles, anything that would make a racket. And the members of Mario's little circus are outside Peter's caravan, serenading the brand new Mr. and Mrs. Peter Gerard. Ladies, ladies and gentlemen, please, please, ladies and gentlemen, we thank you. We thank you for the concert. We, we also thank you for refraining from the bad jokes and platitudes customary at this time. Now, I remind you, please, I remind you that we have a performance this evening at 9 o'clock and that a champagne supper will be served on stage immediately after the show. So, do you remember, please, do you remember the first words we heard when we were apprentices in variety? It was overture and beginners, please. Thank you for the overture. Now, give the beginners a chance. Oh, I got rid of them, Francesca. Three hours to curtain time. We can relax and rest. A kiss for the groom? Well, thank you, but take off your veil, darling. I'm... I'm being kissed through a colander. You hardly spoke a word to me all afternoon. That's not like the real you. Isn't it? Well, don't be cryptic. That isn't like you. I... What's the matter? Nothing. You don't have to be frightened of love, darling. I wasn't with your father. Why should I be with you? Francesca? Simon. Oh, no. No, this is a practical joke. Yes? They put you up to it as a... Please, don't, Francesca. Simon. Oh. Stop it, I... Please, dearest, don't tease. Not now. Show me the key. What key? You remember. In the gallery. You said it was a test to tell you apart. You would always carry it so I would know it was you. The key that winds the mechanical man... Francesca, I can't be mistaken. Even that time you kissed me. I've been tricked. She couldn't. How tricked? You can't tell us apart. What's the difference? Tricked by both of you. You wanted her. You'll have to take both of us now. Peter and Francesca. Peter and Simone. No. Let me out of here. Simone. You swore you'd get out of my life. You promised I'd never see you again. And you believe me, Francesca. You are so deliciously naive. <laughs> you believe anything. Please, Simone, don't do this to us. Keep your promise. It's not too late. Go away. And leave you two to live happily ever after. What a sweet dream. <laughs> no, Francesca. You go away. I've got your man. Don't try to fight me. I'll tell him, Simon. I'll tell him everything about you and me. And, and, and he'll drive you out. If he believes you. If he understands you. <laughs> 
could anybody understand and believe? <laughs> you devil, you devil. <laughs> I'm up in hell. Oh, I hope you'd be here. I looked everywhere else first. What's that you've got? A souvenir of the box office. The cashier's pistol. Oh, no. You sound like Francesca. Are you? <laughs> I brought the key. See? You should have brought the music box. The miraculous mechanical man blows his brains out to music. If he can't pull the trigger, wind him up. It's her fault. Simone broke her word. She promised she'd go away. She swore we'd never see her again. But she didn't. Why? Because I love you and she hates it. How did she do it? She tricked me. Tricked both of us. She... Oh, what difference does it make? It's done. Francesca, look at me. There's got to be a way out of this. We've got to help each other. You've been concealing something. Tell me the truth about Simone. You know her. My twin. She's a part of me. Oh, Peter, there's no way out of this. I can't believe that. You're saddled with Simon for the rest of your life. No. We can't help each other. We've got to, Francesca, or she'll destroy us. She has already. You belong to Simone, Peter. She can't hold me. Give me a chance to work something out. I'll talk to Simone. Will you wait here for me? She won't listen. Just let me try. Will you wait here? Yes. 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 I won't fail. Echo the groom. Four cases of champagne. There was not room enough in my caravan to store all the bottles, so I took the liberty of using yours. Where's Simone? Gone forever, no? She wasn't here when you came in? No. Mario, that 5,000. I need it in cash. It's your money. I want it now, as soon as possible. Am I permitted to ask for what? No. So be it. One must always obey the creditor. It is in the box office. I will get it. Ah, the bride at last, with her luggage. Hello, Mario. I'm moving in. And I am moving out. It's all yours, Simone. I also am moving out. I love Paris. Don't try to follow me. I won't have to try. It will be easy. Simone, I don't know what kind of hold you have over Francesca. I don't know what you want to do to me. But if you want to humble me, I'm begging. Please, don't hurt us. <laughs> you crawl like your father. Damn you. <laughs> all right. All right, listen. Mario's bringing my money over. Five thousand. It's yours if you'll let us go. You can't buy me out. You haven't got me. I've got what Francesca wanted. I won't go near you. I'll never touch you. Am I so hideous? You didn't think that the time you kissed me by mistake. Shut up. How many other times did you make the same mistake? Up in the gallery. In other places. Did you ever stop to think about that? It never happened again. Yes, you need Francesca for that. For what? For lust. Oh, you call it love. Go right ahead. Francesca is willing. And I am an understanding wife. Francesca is always willing. She's all magic and illusion for every man. Your father was only one of them. Your father... Damn and... you. Damn you. Peter. No. Please. What? The, the, the key. What? The key. Simone. Francesca. No. Simone. You're Simone. Fran... Fran... 
understand that everything you have told me is evidence and must be sworn to. Now, you have no idea why he killed her. None that you could understand, Inspector Feldman. No motive to suggest money, jealousy, deceit? Yes, he was deceived, but only by himself. How do you mean? Was there another man? There was another woman, Inspector, but only in both their imaginations. Huh? She was an illusion of both. That is not proper evidence. Now, this clock key... Can you explain why it was found in the hand of the deceased? But I have told you. It was the prop in the illusion act, along with the music box. She wound him up with that key. He came to life. Yes, the mechanical man. But that was on the stage. Oui. Then why was it found in this caravan, in her hand? I don't know. I ask you again. Where is the accused? I don't know. You will be found and arrested. What's that music? Ah, Joe. It is the music box that accompanies the mechanical illusion. Peter, you fool. Why did you come back? This is the accused carrying that music box. Happy Peter, be careful. This is Inspector Feldman of the police. He is... Peter Gerard, I arrest you on suspicion of the premeditated murder of your wife, Francesca Gerard. Not Francesca. Simone. What? Not Francesca. Simone. I kill Simone. What is he saying? What is he doing? He is leaving us, Inspector. Huh? Leaving this world... And retreating into the mechanical man. Not Francesca. Simone. Who is this Simone? The alleged name of the deceased was Francesca. They were one and the same. Two women in one poor, unhappy mind. She called herself by different names. But which did he murder? Both, Inspector. And now himself as well. You will never try him for murder, Inspector. You have lost your man, and I have lost a friend. Francesca, wind me up. Ah, this is his last illusion. May I have the key, please, Inspector? This key is evidence. What will it do? Wind up your case. The key for a moment. Thank you. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you. But the mechanical man does not move. We must not disappoint our gracious audience. Francesca, wind him up to pay his respects. Ah, bravo, Francesca, bravo. Peter Gerard has come to life. The mechanical man is alive. See, ladies and gentlemen, how naturally he bows to you. And now, he bows to the lovely Francesca. And now he... And now he...
scrupulous mechanical man has run down for the last time. But tell me this. If the illusion dies, must the man die too? Is reality a separate thing from dreams? Or are both equal parts of the whole? Living and dying together as they did in Peter Gerard and the miraculous mechanical man and Francesca and Simone, the two girls in one. I'll be back shortly. isn't it? Peter Gerard never found the key to the mystery of the twin sisters in one, Francesca and Simone. And so he died too, because the two of him loved and hated the two of them. Two plus two equaled death. Our cast included Marion Seldes, William Redfield, Robert Dryden, and Sam Gray. The entire production was under the direction of Hyman Brown. This is E.G. Marshall inviting you to return to our mystery theater for another adventure in the macabre. Until next time, pleasant dreams. next 12 minutes or so, we get a reading by one of the Library Box volunteers, Greg Marguerite, who shows up here pretty often, thanks Greg, of a short story from the December 1957 issue of Galaxy Magazine. What's he doing in there? By Fritz Leiber. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Reading by Greg Marguerite. The professor was congratulating Earth's first visitor from another planet on his wisdom in getting in touch with a cultural anthropologist before contacting any other scientists, or governments, God forbid, and in learning English from radio and TV before landing from his orbit-parked rocket. When the Martian stood up, and said hesitantly, Excuse me, please, but where is it? That baffled the professor, and the Martian seemed to grow anxious. At least his long mouth curved upward, and he had earlier explained that it curling downward was his smile, and he repeated, Please, where is it? He was surprisingly humanoid in most respects, but his complexion was textured so like the rich, dark armchair he'd just been occupying that the professor's pinstriped gray suit, which he had eagerly consented to wear, seemed an arbitrary interruption between him and the chair, a sort of Mother Hubbard dress on a phantom conjured from its lather. The professor's wife, always a perceptive hostess, came to her husband's rescue by saying with equal rapidity, Top of the stairs, end of the hall, last door. The Martian's mouth curled happily downward, and he said, Thank you very much, and was off. Comprehension burst on the professor. He caught up with his guest at the foot of the stairs. Here, I'll, I'll show you the way, he said. 
No, I can find it myself, thank you, the Martian assured him. Something rather final in the Martian's tone made the professor desist, and after watching his visitor sway up the stairs with an almost hypnotic, softly jogging movement, he rejoined his wife in the study, saying wonderingly, Who'd have thought it, by George, function taboos as strict as our own? I'm glad some of your professional visitors maintain them, his wife said darkly. But this one's from Mars, darling, and to find out he's, well, similar in an aspect of his life is as thrilling as the discovery that water is burned hydrogen. When I think of the day, not far distant, when I'll put his entries in the cross-cultural index, he was still rhapsodizing when the professor's little son raced in. Pop, the Martian's gone in the bathroom. Hush, dear manners. Now it's perfectly natural, darling, that the boy should notice and be excited. Yes, son, the Martian's not so very different from us. Oh, certainly, the professor's wife said with a trace of bitterness. I don't imagine his turquoise complexion will cause any comments at all when you bring him to a faculty reception. They'll just figure he's had a hard night, and that he's got that baby elephant nose sniffing around for assistant professorships. Really, darling, he probably thinks of our noses as disagreeably amputated and paralyzed. Well, anyway, Pop, he's in the bathroom. I followed him when he squiggled upstairs. Now, son, you shouldn't have done that. He's on a strange planet, and it might make him nervous if he thought he was being spied on. We must show him every courtesy. By George, I can't wait to discuss these things with Ackerley Ramsbottom. When I think of how much more this encounter has to give the anthropologist than even the physicist or astronomer, he was still going strong on his second rhapsody when he was interrupted by another high-speed entrance. It was the professor's cultish daughter. Mom, Pop, the Martians... Hush, dear, we know. The professor's cultish daughter regained her adolescent poise, which was considerable. Well, he's still in there, she said. I just tried the door and it was locked. I'm glad it was, the professor said, while his wife added, Yes, you can't be sure what, and caught herself. Really, dear, that was very bad manners. I thought he'd come downstairs long ago, her daughter explained. He's been in there an awfully long time. It must have been a half hour ago that I saw him gyre and gimble upstairs in that real gone way he has, with Nosy here following him. The professor's cultish daughter was currently soaking up both Jive and Alice. When the professor checked his wristwatch, his expression grew troubled. By George, he is taking his time. Though, of course, we don't know how much time Martians... I wonder. I listened for a while, Pop, his son volunteered. He was running the water a lot. Running the water, eh? We know Mars is a water-starved planet. I suppose that in the presence of unlimited water he might be seized by a kind of madness, and... But he seemed so well-adjusted. Then his wife spoke, voicing all their thoughts. Her outlook on life gave her a naturally sepulchral voice. What's he doing in there? Twenty minutes, and at least as many fantastic suggestions later, the professor glanced again at his watch and nerved himself for action. Motioning his family aside, he mounted the stairs and tiptoed down the hall. He paused only once to shake his head and mutter under his breath, By George, I, I wish I had Fenchurch or von Gottstock here. They're a shade better than I am on intercultural contracts, especially taboo breakings and affronts. His family followed him at a short distance. 
The professor stopped in front of the bathroom door. Everything was quiet as death. He listened for a minute and then rapped measuredly, steadying his hand by clutching its wrist with the other. There was a faint splashing, but no other sound. Another minute passed. The professor rapped again. Now there was no response at all. He very gingerly tried the knob. The door was still locked. When they had retreated to the stairs, it was the professor's wife who once more voiced their thoughts. This time her voice carried overtones of supernatural horror. What's he doing in there? He may be dead or dying, the professor's cultish daughter suggested briskly. Maybe we ought to call the fire department like they did for old Mrs. Frisbee. The professor winced. I'm afraid you haven't visualized the complications, dear, he said gently. No one but ourselves knows that the Martian is on Earth, or even has the slightest inkling that interplanetary travel has been achieved. Whatever we do, it will have to be on our own. But to break in on a creature engaged in, well, we don't know what primal private activity, is still against all anthropological practice. Still, dying's a primal activity, his daughter said crisply. So's ritual bathing before mass murder, his wife added. Please. Still, as I was about to say, we do have the moral duty to succor him. If, as you all too reasonably suggest, he has been incapacitated by a germ or virus, or, more likely, by some simple environmental factor such as Earth's greater gravity. Tell you what, Pop, I can look in the bathroom window and see what he's doing. All I have to do is crawl out of my bedroom window and along the gutter a little ways. It's safe as houses. The professor's question, beginning with, Son, how do you know? died unuttered, and he refused to notice the words his daughter was voicing silently at her brother. He glanced at his wife's sardonically composed face, thought once more of the fire department, and of other and larger and even more jealous, or would it be skeptical, government agencies, and clutched at the straw offered him. Ten minutes later he was quite unnecessarily assisting his son back through the bedroom window. Gee, Pop, I couldn't see a sign of him. That's why I took so long. Hey, Pop, don't look so scared. He's in there, sure enough. It's just that the bathtub's under the window and you have to get real close up to see into it. The Martian's taking a bath? Yep, got it full up and just the end of his little old schnozzle sticking out. Your suit, Pop, was hanging on the door. The one word the professor's wife spoke was like a death knell. Drowned? No, Ma, I don't think so. His schnozzle was opening and closing regular-like. Maybe he's a shape-changer, the professor's cultish daughter said in a burst of evil fantasy. Maybe he softens in water and thins out after a while until he's like an eel and then he'll go exploring through the sewer pipes. Wouldn't it be funny if he went under the street and knocked up on the stopper from underneath and crawled into the bathtub with President Rexford? Or Mrs. President Rexford? Or maybe right into the middle of one of Jamie Rexford's oh-I'm-so-sexy bubble baths? Please, the professor put his hand to his eyebrows and kept it there, cuddling the elbow in his other hand. Well, have you thought of something? The professor's wife asked him after a bit. What are you going to do? The professor dropped his hand and blinked his eyes hard and took a deep breath. Telegraph Fenchurch and Ackerley Ramsbottom, and then break in, he said in a resigned voice, into which nevertheless a note of hope seemed also to have come. First, however, I'm going to wait until morning. 
and he sat down cross-legged in the hall a few yards from the bathroom door and folded his arms. So the long vigil commenced. The professor's family shared it, and he offered no objection. Other and sterner men, he told himself, might claim to be able to successfully order their children to go to bed when there was a Martian locked in the bathroom, but he would like to see them faced with the situation. Finally, dawn began to seep from the bedrooms. When the bulb in the hall had grown quite dim, the professor unfolded his arms. Just then there was a loud splashing in the bathroom. The professor's family looked toward the door. The splashing stopped, and they heard the Martian moving around. Then the door opened, and the Martian appeared in the professor's gray pinstripe suit. His mouth curled sharply downward in a broad alien smile as he saw the professor. Good morning, the Martian said happily. I've never slept better in my life, even in my own little wet bed back on Mars. He looked around more closely, and his mouth straightened. But where did you all sleep? he asked. Don't tell me you stayed dry all night. You, you, you didn't give up your only bed to me. His mouth curled upward in misery. Oh, dear, he said. I'm afraid I've made a mistake somehow, yet I don't understand how. Before I studied you, I didn't know what your sleeping habits would be, but that question was answered for me. In fact, it looked so reassuringly homelike when I saw those brief TV scenes of your females ready for sleep in their little tubs. Of course, on Mars, only the fortunate can always be sure of sleeping wet. But here, with your abundance of water, I thought there would be wet beds for all. He paused. It's true I had some doubts last night, wondering if I'd used the right words and all, but then when you rapped good night to me, I splashed the sentiment back at you and went to sleep in a wink. But I'm afraid that somewhere I've blundered and— No, no, dear chap, the professor managed to say. He had been waving his hand in a gentle circle for some time in token that he wanted to interrupt. Everything is quite all right. It's true we stayed up all night, but please consider that as a watch, an honor guard, by George, which we kept to indicate our esteem. End of What's He Doing in There? by Fritz Leiber Next up is a episode of Dark Fantasy, which was a short-run series, produced only 31 episodes, that ran during part of 1941 and part of 1942. Dark Fantasy was produced in Oklahoma City and written by Scott Bishop, who would later write for The Mysterious Traveler in the Sealed Book. We tend to think all entertainment coming from Hollywood or New York, but in the days of radio, it wasn't at all uncommon for cities like Chicago or Oklahoma City to have their own productions. This is, of course, largely due to the fact that radio production was so much cheaper, and therefore the cost of competing was completely reasonable. All you really needed was a little equipment and a few talented people. And you know, even in 1941, 
There was no shortage of talented people. Can't tell you exactly when Dark Fantasy produced Rendezvous with Satan, but like I said, it was 1941 or 1942. Dark Fantasy. Let us remember him who has passed, not for what he was, not for what he did, but because he was, as all of us are, a temple of God. Let us remember that this which is about to return to common clay was molded from common clay. Today we gather here to pay our last tribute to this now still flesh. Lying here before us, cold in the coldness of death. Let us always remember. Let us always remember. Did you see him? Move his hand. Move his hand up for his hair. Madam, please. No, surely you're mistaken. I distinctly saw his hand move. I couldn't have. Carl. Carl. Oh, my darling. Just lie still, Carl Fisher. This craft is most fragile. Where? Where am I? Where would you be after death? Death? You say death? Yes. Am I dead? They have your body in a church, Carl. Imagine you in a church. No. No, you're mistaken. This is no church. I'm right here. Apparently you are, yes. But we are most careful when we bring you here. We take every precaution to uh, relieve the shock. Shock? Of finding yourself in the midst of fire and brimstone. Hot. It's so hot. (laughs) You get used to it. Where am I? Your soul is here with me. Your body is back on earth. At present, resting within a satin-lined coffin. Coffin? Yes. They're soon going to place you within a tomb. Oh, I don't believe you. Don't you? Personally, makes no difference to me whether you do or not. But for your own satisfaction... 
Suppose you feel for yourself. What? Yes. Reach up with your right hand. Reach up. Feel the casket lining by your head. Go right ahead. There. You see? Yes. But I'm lying in the bottom of a boat. Only your soul is. This is some trick. The boat is satin lined. <laughs> I'll admit, Carl Fisher, I am generally most concerned about my own comfort. But as far as lining one of my boats with satin, no. I fear that would be too much, even for Satan. Satan? Yes. Here, let me prove to you the boat is not cloth lined. There. You see? You devil. <laughs> That's irony. You are a devil. Yes? I am. But not just a devil. The devil. You mean I'm really dead? One never dies, Carl. The common clay perishes, yes. But only the common clay. Let me out of here. I'm sorry. You see, you can't move until I permit you to. But I moved my hand a moment ago. Felt the lining near my head. That's because I wished you to. Nothing is done here unless I order it done. Then... Then I am dead. Only your body. <laughs> it might interest you to know. You caused quite a commotion up there a moment ago when you interrupted your funeral oration by suddenly moving in your casket. Yes, quite a commotion. Only two people saw you. One of them was a woman. You frightened her, Carl. But they've taken her away now. You mean my body actually is being preached over? Oh, yes. Indeed, yes. You were a prominent man on earth, Carl. Naturally, yours is a most elegant funeral. So many flowers, half of them could be brought into the church. People standing outside, on the sidewalk even. Is Laura there? Your wife? Oh, certainly. Where else would she be? Uh, a church, you say? Yes. Amazes you, doesn't it? You haven't been in a church for 35 years. No. You wouldn't even permit your daughter to be buried from a church, Carl. But she went to heaven. Anyway. Stop it, stop it. Do you remember Reverend Brooks, Carl? Reverend Brooks? Yes. He married you. Remember? Today, he's officiating at your funeral. No. No. Would you like to hear what he's saying, Carl? Listen. If Carl Fisher has brought tragedy into our lives, let us remember that out of tragedy, good can arise. Soon that tragedy will be forgotten. But let us never forget Carl Fisher. Let us remember him always as a Christian. You hear, Carl? A Christian, he says. Stop. Stop that voice. Listen, Carl. Let us pray for him often and ask Almighty God to grant him pardon. Let us be generous towards him that finally the Supreme Ruler may in turn be generous towards us. No. No, stop him. Stop him. I don't want to hear anymore. Did you hear what he said, Carl? 
He asked your friends, your family, your wife to forget your evil, to remember only what was good about you. Yes, Carl, but that leaves them nothing to remember. Don't let me alone. No, Carl. They've nothing to remember. Because there was nothing about you that was good. I didn't have a chance. Chance? You say you didn't have a chance? Certainly not. Well, I don't want to waste my breath by pointing out the chances you did have. I was forced into everything that happened. Forced, I say. Were you? Certainly I was. Haven't you ever heard of free will? Free will? Free will, you say? I haven't had a will of my own in the last 30 years. Haven't you, Carl? No. You know I haven't. I knew I was doing wrong. Sure, I knew it. I'd never have made my millions by... By being any other way. Your millions. Did you enjoy them, Carl? I, I was just beginning to when... When I took charge of you. Is that it? Yes. Your millions aren't worth much here. Oh, where am I? Certainly you haven't lost your imagination. Where would you be? With fire on all sides and the smell of brimstone... And with me as your pilot on the river Styx. Styx? You remember. It's our largest river. Where are you taking me? I have a special assignment for you, Mr. Fisher. We have a certain reserve space for members like you down here. Inferno. Tell me. Am I in Hades? Does that surprise you? No. No, I can't be. I didn't want to die. I wanted to do what was right, but I couldn't. You didn't try. I was going to try. You've done nothing but evil for 30 years. You couldn't change now. I could, I tell you, I could. No, Carl. I'll make a bargain with you, Satan. Bargain? (laughs) No one makes bargains with Satan. Give me a chance. Let me go back. Let me live my life over. I'll change. I swear I will. You'd never change. I will, I will. Let me go back. Let me show you. Let me prove I can do what's right. All right, Carl. I'll bargain with you. It would at least relieve the dull monotony. You give me a chance? Yes, for 24 hours. 24 hours? Only 24 hours? Yes. Do nothing but good for 24 hours, and I'll not return to claim you. But if you fail... I won't fail. I won't, I won't. It's up to you, Carl. It's entirely up to you. But remember, only 24 hours. Only 24 hours. You really shouldn't have come tonight, Laura. You should rest. I know. But I couldn't rest. Poor Carl. He needed someone so badly those last few days. And I was away. Never dreaming what was happening. You mustn't blame yourself, Laura. Oh, I can't help it. I feel I deserted my husband. Just when a man needs his wife most. There'll come a time, Dr. West, when when I'll be afraid to come out here to the mausoleum. I wanted to come tonight. To tell him goodbye. 
goodbye? Yes. I loved my husband, David. Despite everything he did, he was the only one I ever cared for. Here, my dear, I have the key. I say, Laura, it's not locked. But I saw you lock it after the services this afternoon. I did lock it. I'd swear I did. Open the door. Yes. Do you have a light? Yes. Pocket flash. There. Oh, David. Empty. The casket's empty. David, for heaven's sakes, what's happened here? I don't know, but Carl always said he'd come back. What? Yes. He told me once he had no fear of death, because he knew he could always make a deal with Satan. Carl told you that? Yes. I, well, I laughed at him at the time, but now I wonder. I'd better go now, Laura. Sure you're feeling all right? Yes, I... I know I won't sleep tonight. You can relax. I can send you out a nurse if you like. Oh, no. No, I'd rather be alone. Well, if you need me, please don't hesitate to call. Thank you, David. Good night, my dear. Good night, David. Thank you so much for being such a dear. I'll... I'll call you in the morning. Good night. That's strange. Yes. I'm not hearing things. That's an electric razor running. But it can't be. There's no one in the apartment but myself. Carl. 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 Yes, my dear, did you call me? Carl. Yes, Laura, what is it? Carl. Are you really there? What do you mean, am I really here? Of course I'm here. Heavens, I was right in the middle of my shaving. Oh, no. Laura, what's the matter with you? Why'd you call me? No, Carl, please don't come any closer, please. The world's gotten into you all of a sudden. Darling. Is it really you? Really me? Now, what are you talking about? Carl, don't you know? Don't I know what? We... We buried you this afternoon. Carl, don't look at me like that. Buried me? Yes. Oh, darling, what's happened? Tell me what's happened. I don't know. Something's wrong. Carl... My head. Whirling. Dizzy. I don't remember what happened. Oh, darling, you're alive. Long. Breathing. Yes, but I seem to have been away. It was so hot. There was a boat on a river. And a satin lined casket and... Oh, Laura. Darling, darling, you did come back. Dr. West said you would. Dr. West? Yes. David, 
He said you told him once you'd come back after... After you'd gone on. Laura. I have been dead, haven't I? Yes, Carl. I remember now. I was sitting at my desk. Sitting alone at night in my office. And then something happened. You were shot. The back of the neck. Everything stopped. The next thing I knew, I was riding in the bottom of a boat lined with silk. No. That wasn't the boat that was lined. It was the casket. He told me to move my hand and I'd feel it. Who, Carl? Who told you? It was... The devil. Carl. Yeah. I died. Went to Hades. But I bargained with Satan. I bargained with him. He took me up. Gave me 24 hours. 24 hours. Darling. Darling, I don't understand. 24 hours to prove I could do good here on Earth. Oh, is it true? Can it be real? Yes, it is true. It's real. I can't believe it. Things like this just don't happen. This happened. But Carl, how? I made a bargain, I tell you. A bargain with Satan. And I have a rendezvous to keep with him. In 24 hours. I'm so confused, Carl. If only... Who could that be? I'll go see. Oh, no. If it's anyone we know, they... They won't understand. You go back into the bedroom, dear. I'll see who it is. But the world's got to know sometime. Oh, people will know soon enough. Please, dear. I'm too upset for a scene to, to try to explain to anyone tonight. All right, my dear, if you wish. Thank you, darling. Just a moment. David. I had to come back, Laura. I couldn't stay away. David, please. Forgive me, dearest. But I've waited so long. David, please go. No. Not until I've talked to you. Some other time. I can't wait any longer, Laura. It's not fair for you to ask me to. Not fair? You know I love you, Laura. You've known it for months, years. David. You have known, haven't you? Yes, but... I've waited so long to have the right to tell you about my love. Now, oh, I... I know it's not right to come to you on the night of your husband's funeral and say these things. But I must know, Laura. I must know. I have nothing to say to you, David. Nothing. I know you were always madly in love with that criminal of a husband of yours. But that's over now. You'll have to forget him. Oh, remember, darling. You're a young woman yet. Your life is still ahead of you. You can't go on carrying a torch for someone who cared more about making a million dollars than making you happy. Please, David, don't say that. I have a right to say it. Now... I've kept it in check all of these years, waiting and hoping. And now Carl is dead. You hear me? Dead. Dead. You belong to me now. No, David. Not now or ever. Yes. Yes, I say. You're mine. If anyone has a right to you, I have. After everything I've done to get you. Will you go now, David? Oh, Laura. Laura, I need you. Oh, Laura, please say you'll marry me. No, David. I'll never marry But I know you care for me. I could make you learn to love me. No, never. I've had nothing for you, David, but friendship. I'll never have more. I know that's not true. Don't say that. It's not. You do care for me. I could tell by the way you kissed me. That's when I first began building my hopes. Kissed you? When did I kiss you? You haven't forgotten. The party in my penthouse. None more than three months ago. Your birthday party. Yes. All the girls kissed you that night. 
You'll remember we even made a sort of game out of it, lined up like a bunch of high school girls to compliment our hosts. Yes, but you meant more than just a compliment that night. You imagined it. Oh, no. I kissed you just like the others, in full sight of my husband. And I, I might add, to his complete amusement. Carl wasn't in the room. You waited until he'd left before you got into line. Oh, nonsense, David. No. I knew that night you cared for me. That's when I began planning to make you mine. David, will you please go? Not until you've told me you'll marry me. I've told you I won't. There's someone else. Only my husband. Someone else. Someone who's alive. Please go, David. What's that? I want you to go. What was that? In that other room? Nothing. What are Nothing you... at all. What are you doing? I don't want you to ever come back here, David. What are you doing? I'm locking this door. I'm in no mood to have you go ransacking my place. There's someone in that room. David. So, so, you couldn't wait until your husband was safely buried. Couldn't wait. David. Well, he won't have you. You hear me? He won't have you. David. Please go now. Very well. But I'm telling you this, Laura. He won't have you. Whoever he is, he'll never have you. I promise you that. Carl? You hurt? Yes. Well? She's been having an affair behind her back, hasn't she? She deserves to be killed, doesn't she? Well, go ahead and kill her. I don't have to tell you, Carl. I've never cared for him. Go ahead, Carl. Kill her. She's lying, don't you think? No one but you, darling. Ever. I can still tempt you, Carl. That's my job. That's how I keep my fires burning. I know you believe me, Carl. No. Don't believe her. She's never lied to you before, but there's always a first time. Darling, please don't stand there looking at me. Say something. She wants you to say something. Well, go ahead. Say something. Darling. It's all right, dearest. I believe you. say when I, I walk out into the world again. Carl, don't you think it would be best for us to go away quietly? Someplace where we'd never be recognized? No, Laura. I have a bargain to fulfill. Only until three this afternoon. You'll spend that time with me then? I'm sorry, I can't. There's more to be done than probably either of us imagined. Where are you going? To the office first. I'll go with you. No, dear. I'll come back to you before I leave you again to keep my rendezvous with Satan. Good morning, Miss Walling. Good morning, Mr. Fisher. 
You're early this morning, Mr. Fisher. Mr. Fisher. Confounded girl. She'll make a scene. I'll spend all morning explaining. And nothing doing. I'll let myself in the office. West. Come in, Carl. I've been waiting for you. Sitting in my chair at my desk. Yes. This is your gun, I believe. What's the meaning of this? I'm prepared to make a bargain with you. Bargain? Yes. What sort of a bargain? You died without leaving a will. I have one here dated three months before your death. Sign it, the business becomes mine. And I'll permit you to take away half of your seven million dollars and Laura. You permit me? Yes. You couldn't operate your business now? People wouldn't want to do business with a dead man. Do I look dead to you? Don't be facetious. I'm serious. I know all about what happened to you. When I came back to see Laura last night, I heard you talking before I pushed the buzzer. I don't understand it all, but I'm prepared to give Laura up for your business and half your cash. You killed me. What? You killed me. Fisher, keep back. I see it clearly now. I see now that Laura wasn't lying to me last night. She's never cared for you. I warn you, keep back, Fisher. I remember what you said to her. You said, if anyone has a right to you, Laura, I have. After everything I've done to get you. This gun is loaded, Carl. Yes, I see it all clearly now. Stay back. Stay away from me. The night she kissed you at the party. Remember what you said about that last night? That was the night you began planning to make her yours. If you come any nearer, I'll shoot. I'm not going to harm you, Dr. West. You'd like to get your hands on this gun. You'd like to kill me, wouldn't you? Kill you? No, I can't kill you. I've made a bargain not to. Then keep back. I could kill you, though. I've been proclaimed legally dead, you know. You can't hang a dead man. Keep back. One step farther and I'll shoot. I told you I don't intend to harm you. Stop where you are. I just want you to take a good look at me, doctor. Stop. Not one step farther. Not one step farther. Laura. Oh, darling, are you hurt? It's nothing. He shot you, Carl. Laura, that that gun in your hand. I, I followed you here. I don't know why I brought the gun. Laura, you killed him. Darling. Give it to me. No. Give it to me. Give it to me. Carl, you must get to a doctor. No. Look at the clock. No time for a doctor. You hurt badly. It doesn't matter. Give me that gun. Carl. Give it to me. There. Now. Now they... They'll think... We shot each other. Carl. 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 Oh, my darling. You have won your bargain, Carl Fisher. There's no place here for you now.
You have heard Rendezvous with Satan, tonight's original tale of dark fantasy by Scott Bishop, originating in the studios of WKY. Ben Morris was Carl Fisher, Blois Wright played Dr. David West, Eleanor Naylor Corrin was Laura Fisher, Fred Wayne took the part of Satan, Muir Height was heard as Reverend Brooks, and Georgiana Cook Height played the secretary. Tom Paxton speaking, Dark Fantasy comes to you each Friday night from Oklahoma City. <laughs>